Welcome to the Conscious Being Podcast. Conscious Being is a medium publication started by me, Elizabeth Wright, to promote disabled women's voices. Disabled women are some of the most underrepresented people in society, and my mission is to change this. To have a truly inclusive world, we need to acknowledge and learn from these absolutely amazing women. On this podcast, we will be interviewing women of all ages, backgrounds, and disabilities, going in deep with issues that these women face and how they imagine a more inclusive world could be. So join us on this journey, be challenged, learn, and grow. Here we go. This is the Conscious Being podcast, where we have discussions with disabled women of all ages and explore who they are, what they do, and what makes them tick. Along the way, we will smash stereotypes, challenge ableism, and create a new vision and narrative of what disability is. So, hi everyone. I'm so excited today to have uh, the absolutely wonderful Claudia as my guest. I have been following Claudia on Twitter for quite a while now, and I was so excited when she agreed a few months ago to contribute to uh, Conscious Being on on Medium. Um, and I am just absolutely excited to have you here today, Claudia. Thank you so much for agreeing to this. Lovely to be here with you. Thank you so, so much. I am just going to literally launch us straight into the questions because, you know, I've done a little bit of my research behind the scenes about who Claudia is, but I always like to get the perspective of my guest because I'm not you. <laughs> I have no idea what, what your life is like, what your lived experience is. And I think it's always best to, to hear from that individual what their story is. So just first question, who is Claudia? Wow, that's such a large, beautiful question. <laughs> Who are you? Uh, so generally, at the top of a meeting, I will introduce myself by giving some introductory things that are meant to interrupt colonialist meeting culture. So I'll start with that mm -hmm. frame. Okay. My name, my name, the way you can uh, refer to me um, in, in the best way is Claudia Alec. It's a gift okay. for me to tell you my name at the top of the process. That's why we say each other's names so mm -hmm. that we can consent to speaking to each other and referring to each other with the utmost respect. So my name is Claudia Alec. Um, I am speaking to you from the Bay Area, the so-called Bay Area, land of the Ohlone people. The people are still alive. I always do a decolonized greeting at the top of most of my meetings. And lately, I've turned that decolonized greeting up a bit because the world has gotten a bit more intense. So now it's a moment to acknowledge that the United States has concentration camps. It's a moment yeah. to acknowledge that there are incarcerated and um, uh, uh, incarcerated people and detained people whose lives are being put at high risk and are being killed. And that is, that is the current situation that we are living through right now. So I like to yeah. do that at the top of the meeting. Um, I do my gender pronouns. My gender pronouns are they, their, she, hers. You can use those interchangeably. Okay. Um, I do an access check-in at the top of my meetings. Again, this is to interrupt ableist meeting culture that assumes that everyone's being served 
and also that there's some special population that has special needs, that's not what's going on. The world needs to serve everyone. The meeting needs to serve all of the people who are in the meeting. So all of my meetings have an access check in them. Um, so my access check this morning is, I have been very busy fighting racism and ableism. So that means that I have not been getting enough sleep. And so you are speaking to a Claudia that is tired, that would like to have a few days off um, and is looking forward to manifesting that when the world allows. That's my access check-in. Um, I'm off camera, which uh, I appreciate. I'm doing a camera-free morning just to extend my lifestyle. I'm currently living in quarantine. I'm immunocompromised, so that means I, I have a pretty strict quarantine situation going on, and I've, I've been inside of it since, uh, since, since March. Um, and that means I, I also have a transmedia social justice practice. And with that social justice practice, it's very digital. So I have a lot of people in my life. So I'm seeing a lot of people all day long from early in the morning until late in the evening. So one of the gifts I give myself is a camera-free morning. Um, so I appreciate you speaking to me voice to voice. It's fine. Absolutely. I get that. It's, it's definitely something I've, I've become a lot more aware of within myself, the, the need to be very clear about boundaries and what serves my needs in each moment. Well, I also think that, you know, I speak a lot about design. Oftentimes meeting design is an ableist meeting design. So it's designed to disallow the participants from stating out loud, this is how I can participate at my highest level of capacity. Mm -hmm. This is how the meeting needs to move or change or shift to serve me so I can serve it. So it's, um, it's a collaborative, cooperative exercise rather than an extractive, servile exercise. I like that. I like that idea. And I think that's kind of, I, I guess, leads into that idea of having open discussions with people and recognizing that we're all different and we all have these different needs to actually survive the world, that, especially the, the type of world that we're currently living in. It's, it is very intense, very topsy-turvy. I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm Australian, but I live in the UK. Um, and as someone with this kind of um, experience where um, I'm Australian, who's living in a country that's completely different to what I grew up in, but then I'm looking back into a country that, um, that I did grow up in as a stranger almost and then even looking across the pond to to the US um, and seeing what's happening over there and it's it's kind of all of these parallels and strange topsy-turvy world that we seem to be living in that it's it's tough it's tough I think whether um, you know kind of whatever whatever group you're kind of coming from wherever there might be a protected characteristic it's it's extremely tough. I mean, it always has been, but it just seems particularly intense right now. Although I've been thinking more about how it's less that it's particularly intense. It's more that we're fighting it. Mm. So there's many folks who want to label uprising as the source of stress. And mm. I would argue that we've been living with a chronic condition that's killing us. Yeah. And, um, what what we're what we're witnessing right now 
is is the equivalent of uh, finally stopping uh, being in denial and seeking treatment, or at least telling everyone, hey, I've been in pain this entire time and just keeping it quiet. Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's, I feel like this is an interesting point to, to come in because, you know, I, I could never, I'm a white woman, I could never, ever, ever claim to understand what it's like to be black. I have friends who um, are black, brown, um, and, you know, I've had many discussions with them. And I think over time, so it's like my housemate, she's British Indian, and we've discovered that there's certainly um, these kind of touch points between racism and ableism because I, I, you know, I am disabled, I've experienced ableism. Um, and I think that... I'm starting to see those kind of almost like the disability community is um, kind of looking to what's happening um, with kind of black activism and and seeing the result of that and and trying to it's I don't even know what I'm trying to say Claudia really it's like I, I, I feel like some of the things you're touching on are, you know, the entire um, uh, uh, disability rights. And I'm saying yeah. that specifically the disability rights movement or the, the, the rights yeah. movement that happened um, like in Berkeley, California. Um, um, in, in that time period, that was that was 100% inspired by and yeah. literally supported by the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers were helping the disabled community fight for disabled rights. That's said what you're what you're talking about also um touches on a, a really sensitive topic that's complicated where oftentimes i'll be in disabled activist spaces and i'll name it white disabled activist mm -hmm. spaces where the white disabled activist will name the slight incremental barely any progress that we have made in racial justice mm -hmm. and name that as a reason why disabled folk need more attention now. Yeah. Which could have been the opposition, which is white supremacy culture uh, tactics. And I think that it sometimes bleeds into the disabled communities uh, tactics for fighting for liberation. They get caught up. No, thank you for that. Because I think, I think it's definitely something, you know, I'll be completely honest with you. I, I've been definitely very interested in disability activism for a very long time. But I'm realizing now, I think, especially in the past few years, um, that my knowledge lacks, <laughs> certainly. And it's, it's raising that awareness within myself and understanding those internal biases within myself to try and understand the kind of issues around racism and the disability community. And I know certainly that I've still got a lot to learn. And I think that's why it, it's, it's still definitely a difficult for me to articulate where I feel I'm coming from because I recognize that I still have an awful lot to, to learn and understand myself. Well, and I think that's also another part of, and, and it's, I'm still struggling to find the efficient word to mm. name the thing we're living in. Uh, I will often name it as, you know, white supremacy culture, but white supremacy culture depends on ableism. Ableism is a function of, a, a prime driver inside, inside of this. Patriarchy is a prime driver inside of this 
um, um, this culture that we're living in, we're surviving through. Mm -hmm. One of the things this culture does to us is from a very early age, it teaches us that being wrong is something that should be punished. Revealing that you don't know is something that should be punished. You shouldn't try to get knowledge. You should just mask not having knowledge. Um, and if that's your cultural, if that's the place that you're performing from, that means you're not going to ask questions. If something's different and it, and you don't know enough about it, you just avoid it because you, you, you you're scared. Um, and I feel like that's one of the, one of the biggest things you can do to dismantle ableist culture is to yeah. educate yourself and to teach the next generation to not be afraid to be educated. I, I, yeah, I, I, Totally agree because I think certainly I see within the disability community these we, we kind of separate ourselves into groups of different types of disabilities and I see a lot of arguing between the different groups and a lot of conflict and and I kind of think actually even even being disabled I think there's this um, uh, or, or this you know this need for us to actually be better disability allies ourselves even though we are disabled? I would highly recommend the resource Skin, Tooth and Bone. The basis of movement is our people, a disability justice primer. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, from SINS. This is terrible. I never know if it's invalid or invalid. Do you know if it's SINS invalid or SINS invalid? I think it's invalid. Okay. I, I continue to mess it up. Um, despite the fact every time I speak to someone from the collective, I'm like, so what is it? And then they tell me, and then I, my brain immediately mixed into something else. But the book is brilliant. Okay. And what I love about it as a resource is that it's written by us, right? It's by our people. I think another thing that we need to resist is not only the pathologization of the disabled community, mm -hmm. but also the monetization of the disabled community. We, um, we, we are a community that makes a lot of abled community a whole lot of money. Mm. I go, um, if you need to get educated, come to our people to get educated because that's how you're, you're going to avoid being miseducated. Uh, and also that's how you're going to avoid getting involved in extractive ecologies that are about making money and resources and income for ableist community rather than us. Um, the, the other piece of that, this primer that I think is just amazing is it has a really strong racial justice um, through line and an entire section on police violence, which I think is also something really necessary for the disabled community mm -hmm. to um, have a lot of uh, knowledge and, um, and competency around. So it's a great resource. I highly recommend it. They can go to the website, to Sends Influence website to get it. Uh, I think... I will definitely be checking that out and I'll pop the link in the show notes as well so that our listeners can. Also, I, I, I am not a member of this collective. I'm pushing it so hard. You'd think I'm getting some kind of um, a, a, a throwback. I'm not being sponsored by Sense Invalid. This podcast is not sponsored by Sense Invalid or Skin, Tooth and Bone, but you should cop it. You should get it. Some, some good knowledge. It's some good reading. Make a yeah. book club, y'all. That's what I did. Um, I did this amazing anti-police violence book club with mm. the Curiosity Paradox. Um, they are based in Portland. So we co-created this, um, this, I think it was like a four-session workshop for disabled folk to really get analysis on police violence to disabled folk, ways to resist it, ways to sharpen our, our analysis. 
Um, and it was, um, it was really beautiful, strong work. Um, I feel like I've, I've made some deeper community connections in the Portland area because of that work. And also like folks really, it's a, just, I say make a book club. Book clubs are great. Yeah. I love that. Well, you know what? Maybe I need to make a conscious being book club. <laughs> it might be, might be the next step in, in all of this. Um, and, and or reach out, reach out to the curiosity paradox. They might be making another one. Who knows? Oh, definitely. I'll, I've, I've noted that down. So, um, yeah, I'll definitely, um, reach out to them and, and, and ask them about it. Um, because no, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's, as, as you say, it's, it, the the experience of disability in in non-disabled people understanding it it definitely has to come from the community and I've noticed definitely in the past year I think definitely especially since uh, the pandemic um, a, a lot of disabled uh, content creators freelancers um, self-employed people um, are, are definitely being very vocal about the fact that they should be paid for their work that um that you know if you're looking for someone to run diversity and inclusion workshops around disability and that then it should be um someone in the disability community that you're you're kind of getting in and and i think that that's definitely something that needs to be addressed and pushed i mean i can't count the the amount of times i've been asked you know will you come and do this for free or you know it's good exposure and it's like well it's not exposure that i need <laughs> um, and i think that's definitely something very similar across the board of of disabled people who are trying to do this work or trying to earn a, a decent living from from this kind of work Yes. Well, so you'd, you'd um, um, sent me some primer questions mm. that I meditated a bit on. Uh, I start my day with um, several different meditations. Okay. Now that we're living through COVID times, I'd always started my day with one meditation, but the world is so stressful. I now have two in the morning. One is a peaceful one that's just nice and, and I'm thinking about breathing and like trees and, and, and lemons. Um, mm. The second meditation is <laughs> me. Thinking, lemons. <laughs> yes. Oh, I've got this gorgeous lemon tree outside my home and, uh, and I just love to plop myself just right there in view of it and just oh meditate my. On, my, on my gorgeous lemons and the smell of lemons. Um, but uh, um, uh, the second meditation was on the question that you'd raised around representation. Mm, and yeah. disabled community since my work is primarily in cultural production mm -hmm. um you know, I, I i i gave you a i gave you an interesting uh introduction to myself which was different and i've never done that before i quite enjoyed it mm -hmm. um but i did miss giving you my more traditional bio so i am someone who holds um positions of hierarchical authority inside of institutions um, and organizations that um, uh, produce and manage cultural representation and producing around the country. So that means I'm sometimes in spaces where I'm helping to get funds to artists and distribute funds and make those choices. Sometimes I'm in spaces where um, I'm helping artists to tour work or produce work. Sometimes I'm literally producing the work myself and I'm, I'm in a room with, with buttons and, and making artistic choices. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the work I'm doing is literally being involved in think tanks and writing think pieces and talking to us about what is this thing we're doing, cultural producing, and why are we being harmed in so many of these spaces of cultural producing? 
why and how. Um, so you just named the one of the pieces of equity, financial equity, that we rarely really talk about yeah. inside of cultural producing. So I would argue every time an able-bodied actor embodies the story of a disabled person, they're stealing money from the disabled community. The disabled community has been shut out of uh, being able to play the roles of, and I'm doing air quotes now, but the able-bodied character. They're mm -hmm. disallowed from playing able-bodied characters. Most characters are written to be default abled. Yeah. So that means literally you have an entire class of people that's being disallowed from cultural representation, embodying their own cultural representation, getting paid for it. And that's how you can keep an entire class of people in penury. You make sure they can't make any money. They can't get resources from themselves. They have to go to abled community to get resources and to also have their story told. So that piece of financial equity is huge. It's it's interesting you you bring up that specifically about um, disabled actors, you know, not getting access to the work that they're they're trained and perfectly talented enough to to be going and doing this type of work. And because yesterday, um, uh, one of uh, our kind of big well-known actresses over here, Sally Phillips, she actually, um, her son has Down syndrome and she's very active in the disability community over here. And um, she wrote an article in the Times about cripping up um, and that, you know, there has to be more access given to disabled actors to be able to earn money from their particular craft, from, you know, um, being able to hone their skills and be seen and build a name for themselves. And, um, and it, it fully ex exploded over here in a discussion on Twitter um, with a kind of one of the shock jocks over here called Piers Morgan. Um, and he was very, you're aware of Piers? Uh, um, I, I, I consider that person to be someone who puts poison into the discourse, who, yeah. who who wants people to be confused and upset all the time. I try to avoid that voice. I have that person muted on Twitter. Fair enough, fair enough. I won't talk too much about it, but essentially he's, <laughs> he's got a book coming out and we basically, it's like, right, you're doing, he's basically called us all woke. And it's like, well, that's the name of your book. You're trying to get free publicity off the back of being derogatory towards disabled people. Um, and basically, um, you know, inciting your followers to, to take this point of view and cause this level of harm to disabled people. Can we lean? Can we lean into what you just said? Yeah, that we have someone who's doing cultural producing, who's investing their money. Others are investing their money and their time and their ability to produce the work and distribute the work. And what is the goal of that work? What is the end goal? Hmm. It is to convince the public of certain things, certain ideas, certain beliefs, beliefs that in the end harm the majority of people on this planet yeah. because if you look at the disabled community just at the just at the sheer numbers the disabled community is not a minority it's actually the majority of the people on the planet that's the weird thing about being part of a marginalized community it's not actually about the numbers of us right no, in, no. Fact, in fact that's the story that we keep being told oh it's just minority this small group of people with special interests when in fact it's a small group of people with special interests who want us to work against our interests. Mm -hmm. So that's why you've got 
powerful folk who are not only investing, they're investing their money in misrepresentation. They're, they're misrepresenting, they're, they're telling a story about reality that is not true, that's meant to make us think something different that hurts and harms all of us. But also, the act of cripping up is an act of misrepresentation, regardless of the positive, good intentions of any of those individual actors or writers or people making the project. The act of cripping up is an act of misrepresentation and generally ends up with a cultural production where the people, the most marginalized people who are being represented in that, argue that that is harming them. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking right now of a number of television series um, uh, that were created by folks who told stories about meaning well, but the end product was one where the disabled community had to say out loud, you just spent millions of dollars to misrepresent us and harm us. And a bunch of able people got paid. And you used our story to make money, though. What's up with that? Yeah. It's, it's definitely, yeah, something I agree with you 100%. I've definitely had arguments with, with people about movies, certain movies that I've been like, actually, you know, the, the amount of um, uh, non-disabled people who um, love the movie Me Before You, I think it's oh, called. Oh, no. Oh, huh? and I'm like, really? I'm like... Um, you know, and it's, and it's kind of trying to, and it's kind of coming back to this idea of, of, um, which I know is a term used definitely across a lot of kind of, um, activism and protest groups, especially in the black community and that, but it's that emotional labor of then having to explain why there are issues with that particular representation and how, as you say, it's actually hurting the wider community, um, you know, in light of that particular movie, um, specifically the disabled community and the way that that people see disabled people, you know, it's kind of compacting those certain beliefs around tragedy um, and pity and that, you know, to, to live a disabled life must be something really awful um, to, to be. Oh. But then, as you say, a, ma a majority of people are disabled in some way or will end up disabled in some way. Well, it's this interesting thing of no one wants to feel bad about themselves. Everyone wants to feel like they're the protagonist in a story where they're the good guy. Mm. They're, they're, they're a good person in their story. So that means that they're going to listen to narratives and belief systems that continue to let them feel like they're being a good person. So it's a lot easier to feel like you're a good person when you're like, well, you know, those people, their lives are so bad, they don't even, they don't even want to be alive. Those people have such horrifying, terrible existences that it's best that, like, they don't want to be seen. It's best that we just ignore that they exist. That's what's best. It's best if they just don't exist ever. And that's how you get eugenics. That's mm -hmm. how you get genocide. That's, that's, that's the other piece of this conversation. So for 20 years, we've been having these conversations about representation, and we've had entire populations like that bad cultural producer that you were just naming earlier in the conversation people who have been actively investing in helping us to be our worst selves um and the end result is helping folks to have a belief system that allows genocide to take place and they can feel comfortable with it that can allow eugenics to take place and they can feel comfortable with it all of these stories that's the end goal of them 
to help the abled audience feel very comfortable with the status quo and to be demotivated to change it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, if, uh, I feel quite emotional actually hearing you say that because I'm a, I, I know it, but it's, you know, it's, it kind of just makes me really sad. You know, I'm, I've always been open in, in talking about in, in saying, you know, my parents told me in my early twenties that when, um, because I, I'm disabled or, or my impairment limb different from birth and, um, you know, my parents were encouraged to abort me and it frankly horrifies me because you think here I am a, a, a fully realized individual within a community um, who's loved and who loves and, um, and wants to just purely be seen as human um, and be accepted as, as they are, um, that, that I might not have existed, that so many of us might not have existed because of this side of um, ableism and and how that impacts um, families and and women and and you know it's just I'm a bit gobsmacked, Claudia. Honestly, um, it in terms of in terms of that representation, do you have any ideas on how we can actually tackle that? You know, imp imp improve the the representation of disabled people and perhaps you know even even more specifically um, black and brown disabled people, because I think as you, as you say quite rightly, so at the beginning of our discussion, there's certainly a certain level of, of racism within the disability community. And, and I'm on this learning journey to discover how I can, you know, kind of dismantle those racist structures within um, wider society as well as the disability community but you know do you have any ideas or suggestions on how we can improve that representation well sure well one of them is i i think that it's very important for us to stop telling ourselves or making the story softer than it really is mm -hmm. like i just i just said some things that have been true for the last 20 years like nothing i've said has not been I could have had this conversation with you a decade ago. Yeah. I could have had this conversation with you 20 years ago. These things have always been true. It's, yeah. it's hard to have these conversations. It's hard to, it, we're tempted to soften the observation, but the observation is we live in white supremacist culture and the disabled community has a lot of white supremacy in it. Like that's the observation. The observation isn't, well, some of the disabled community has a little bit of racism. The, the observation is the disabled community has white supremacy culture all over it. And if we as a community, as a disabled community, don't address that every single time we are doing the work, we're not addressing something that's killing us. Yeah. And the same is true for all of the other rooms that I'm in. So, you know, I, my practice is one where I have a fiercely intersectional lens. Mm. So I, I try to center those most marginalized and design around those needs. So if I design my systems to serve the disabled first, to yeah. serve um, black people first, to serve indigenous people first. If I um, design my systems to, um, um, uh, to serve women and uh, non-binary folk first, if I design my systems to do that, to make sure those participants have the highest level of accessibility, if I design my systems to have the highest level of accessibility to low-income participants, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that allows me to have a system 
that doesn't have a, a bunch of barriers that disallow me from getting the work done, that disallow me from actually having the, um, the participants empowered and with agency and with joy helping to do this work, dismantling all of this. And I, I, will, and I, go ahead. I was just going to say, and I think at the same time, by, by designing the systems in this way, it's not that you're then um, excluding other people who've maybe benefited from the current systems at all. They're still welcome in that space. You're just opening up um, that space to so many more people. I'll also name this. Those most marginalized are often the ones doing the work and the labor of saving the entire society. Mm. Right? Yeah. Because my argument is this abled design, this racist white supremacy culture design, this patriarchal design, that's what's resulting in a culture that's literally killing gigantic portions of the population mm. and has been generationally over and over again. So those most marginalized are those who are often asked the question you've just asked me. Now, of course, I've made this my business. Like, this is what I do on this planet. I save my life. I save your life. I save all of our lives. I do it with beautiful cultural productions. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people out there who are doing this labor and this work. So another way you can support this work is find a black marginalized disabled cultural producer and support what they are putting into the world support them yeah. because their work is medicine and the world needs this medicine and i think i think your work honestly is medicine claudia i've i as i said at the start i've been an admirer of yours for for quite a while now and i've been following you and you know i've been um you know, watching videos that you've been involved with and, and looking at what you've been creating. And I see you as, as such a leader. And, and I just, you know, I want to let you know, is the reason I wanted you on this podcast is because I want to stand with you. I want to stand with all disabled women in particular, because, um, you know, I kind of feel the reason I started Conscious Being was because I felt like my voice wasn't being heard. And um, as a disabled woman, I it hurt to think that my experience of life is not being heard or believed or listened to. And and I was kind of just over it, sick of it. I wanted to, to create something where perhaps other women who are feeling the same can have that space as well um, and kind of be able to use my platform to share other women's stories and i think if we can all kind of stand shoulder sh shoulder to shoulder together and support each other and really listen to each other and learn from each other and grow um we can become an even stronger force to be reckoned with and um in especially supporting each other in doing this work so thank you so much for coming on the podcast claudia i'll just give you one last minute if there's anything else you'd like to to say Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> There's a lot. <laughs> well, I will say this. The project that you're doing, interviewing voices and gathering stories that are good medicine for all of us, I think that that's, um, that's another way we dismantle this, uh, this, this, this problematic culture that we are inside of and build something that is healthier and better for all of us. Thank you. 
I, that, that means a lot to me coming from you because I, I just, I, I see the work that you're doing and it inspires me. Um, and you know, I feel like I have to say that not, not from an inspiration porn perspective at all, you know, all hail Stella Young, but, <laughs> but definitely, you know, the, the work that, you know, I look at, um, activist leaders like yourself and, and so many others. And I just think, you know, um, we, you know, we stand on so many people's shoulders, you know, every single one of us. And, um, and at the same time, it's that I want, I want people to stand on my shoulders as well. And let's just continue to raise each other up and, and um, get our stories and our voices and our lives heard. Hear, hear. <laughs> so thank you so much, Claudia. I'm, I'm literally um, squeeing with excitement. I'm so glad that you <laughs> um, Honestly, is, I had a list of people that I wanted to include and you were definitely definitely on that list so thank you so much thank you to all the listeners for listening um and yes claudia you're a star Conscious Being Podcast. Did you know that you can support the Conscious Being publication and podcast on Patreon? As a publication, we aim to financially support our writers, but we need your help. With a monthly subscription through Patreon, you will contribute to our dream to pay our writers a fair industry fee for their work. All disabled people deserve fair pay, and we are a fair paying publication. Check out the link to Patreon in the show notes, and we are grateful for any support you can give.